Hello, I'm Scott Soshner. And I'm Evan Novi Williams, and you are listening to the Sportacast. I like it. I mean, you added an end at the front and you are listening, you know, a little Brent Musburger-esque there. Uh, very well done. Now you're making a conscious effort to to change things up a little bit. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And the Spanish was a one-time thing. I don't think I'll be bringing that one uh, I, I did one hear back. from a few people about the Spanish. <laughs> it wasn't great. I appreciate the effort. Uh, let's start with some Sterling brands because we do always love Sterling brands joining forces to see what they can do together. How about these in the sports and e-commerce world. I don't think any bigger brands than the National Football League, Amazon, and Fanatics. Joining up, you had the story first. Tell me, fill me in. Yeah, I don't know, Scott, if you've ever tried to buy licensed apparel, sporting, you know, fan gear on Amazon, but the selection has never been very good. It, it's ironically, you know, one of the few areas I think where, where Amazon is not dominant from an e-commerce standpoint, and that may be starting to change. Yesterday, the uh, Amazon and the NFL announced that they were essentially beefing up the amount of inventory that is available on the Amazon marketplace. It's not exactly this, but the best way to think about it is take the NFL online shop, which is run by Fanatics. Everything, most of the things on that store that are not Nike are going to also be available on Amazon. Obviously, a huge reach, Scott, and though it's not directly related, obviously some synergy and some connectivity to the media deals that we have been talking about for the past few weeks. Yeah, but let's stick to the e-commerce side first. No Nike, which is the official supplier, by the way, and that's because Nike has pulled its stuff from Amazon. That that had been Mm -hmm. done previously. I believe you broke that story a while back. Um, It'd be fun, by the way, to go back. Uh, Do you have a Prime membership on Amazon? I do, yeah. Okay, it's pretty fun to go in your orders. Let's go back and look at all the things that I have purchased on Amazon. Uh, I don't think that the NFL or any of its related merchandise is part of my my purchases, but it would be fun to go back and look because it really is a default setting for so many people. We know about the, the demise of brick and mortar and Amazon has built a better mousetrap and it's one click away and, and you've got your Amazon Prime video too. Yeah, we're, we're now combining. You're starting to see the synergies between one part of the Amazon business. And I, I mean, we still have to call them a fledgling broadcaster because it's not like they're whole hog in on live rights, but they took a, let's say if they had a toe, it was a little toe. Now they've got all the toes in because they are paying a billion dollars uh, in a recently sealed deal for Thursday Night Football. So how do you see the one side of the business fueling the other side and vice versa? I think it's two ways. The first is the more direct way. I think if you're watching live NFL games via Amazon in the future, there's going to be a more kind of direct way in which the thing you're watching correlates to products that are being offered to you. Maybe after Saquon Barkley scores a touchdown, suddenly a little pop-up says, you want a Saquon Barkley replica jersey? God Boom. help click, you once they have right all your data. Here. Yeah, Once they know you're a fan of X team, X player, or your four kids, one likes this player, one likes the other. Did you see that sack? And by the way, here's his jersey. Oh, man. And that's, and you mentioned it right there, Scott, data being the second piece of that, maybe the underlying way in which these two things weave together is that the more you watch football on Amazon, the more they get a better sense 
sense of how much you like football, probably get a sense of what your favorite teams may be. Um, and they can then use that to kind of pitch you gear based on that team when you're not watching games. So I think it's both those things. It's kind of a direct overlaying the shopping experience with the live rights. And then two, the more information they know about you, as you know, Amazon may be the best in the world at this, the better they can be at pitching you product. You know the words that the folks over at Fanatics like to say, vertical integration, right? <laughs> well, this is now just about integration, period. How do you integrate all of these different pieces of the business to fuel the other? Um, I'm very interested to see when I'm watching a game, what, it, what the experience is going to be like if I'm watching on Prime, if, uh, you know, how, how can it touch me in all the different areas? But that's where we're headed. And you said it. Um, it. It's about all the different touch points. And you're starting to see that creep and crawl one throughout the other. Uh, I'm, I'm really curious to see how this drives the e-commerce business. One thing that, that you know, sheds th this deal shed some new light on for me, Scott, when the NFL and, and Amazon agreed to their deal last week, there's a part in there that gives the NFL the option of giving Amazon a Friday, a Black Friday regular season game to stream. Um, that's an NFL option. It's not an Amazon option. But in light of this new partnership with Amazon on the, on the retail side, obviously, Black Friday, one of the biggest shopping days, if not the biggest shopping day of the year in the U.S. for Amazon, you get to understand maybe where those synergies may even spill over into the scheduling of NFL games. I do want to transition real quick to Fanatics, Scott. You mentioned they're part of this deal. This is also a pretty big one for Fanatics. They have because Amazon is not great at licensed apparel, and, and, and this may be the reason why, is because Fanatics has essentially dominated that world for so long. They have all the live rights. I know everybody, everybody's default is Fanatics. They want to buy a shirt or something. It's an immediate default. They just go to Fanatics.com. Exactly. And because they operate the NFL fan shop, they are going to be the ones operating the NFL fan shop storefront on Amazon. It's a first for Fanatics. They've never sold product, uh, any of their own product or even product they have rights to through uh, cross-listed on, on Amazon. So this will be a trial for them as well, I think. I'm sure they're really interested to see kind of what, what, what bounces back if they feel like it cannibalizes their business or if they feel like it's just additive. I'm willing to wager that I have an idea that Roger Goodell did not consider or Amazon uh, or Michael Rubin in bold. this deal. You talk about, yeah, yeah, this is bold statement, but I think you're going to back me up on this one. You mentioned that Black Friday is like the busiest shopping day. Close your eyes for a second. What do you envision? What do you see on the news reports on Black Friday? What do you see at the brick and mortar shops? Lines. It, more than lines. You, you sort of see kind Stamp, of like- Stampedes. Stampedes, yes. <laughs> yeah, there you go. I'm thinking we could use some defensive coordinators, maybe offensive coordinators <laughs> to, to teach people if you're going to the brick and mortar store, here's a good blocking technique so that your friend can then make the cut, snag the $29 Vizio 40-incher, Right. Nobody you, thought of that. You're right that I don't this think is Roger Goodell thought of, thought of that. <laughs> but uh, if he's a listener of the, of the Sportacast, uh, maybe next time they renegotiate these things, he can pop that in. Scott Fanatics in the news for another reason as well this week. Just closed a, 30, a $320 million fundraising round, all from existing investors. Now, that, that isn't news in itself. It, that's that is not, not the news. $12.8 billion is the valuation. That's more than double the valuation of their last round, which was seven months ago. So in seven months, the, the, the valuation of Fanatics jumped from $6.2 billion to $12.8 billion. Can I play the role of Novi Williams right now? Please. Okay, okay. So... I, I did a little research and I have my data points here. So I'm going to play the role of you. Fanatics valuation, 2012, $1.5 billion. 
2013, 3.1 billion. 2017, 4.5 billion. I'm getting that hockey stick. 2020, 6.2. And as you said, 2021, um, 12.8. Um, Not bad. Probably, I, th- I think we're in agreement here. The last raise before what we've heard so much about the initial public offering of Finet. Yeah, I think that's right. And 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 back last year, that six point two valuation round, that was kind of the internal messaging at Fanatics back then was that this is our last round, and then we're going to see what happens next. It sounds like what I was told there was just a lot of interest from pre-existing investors like Silver Lake, which led this round. Major League Baseball upped its stake. I think a lot of the investors realized, hey, we want to get one more chance at investing here before it becomes a public thing. So looking forward, traditional IPO could be on the table. Acquisition by SPAC, I think, could be on the table. There might even be other things out there. But I think you're right. And you know, again, with the caveat that we said this seven months ago, but this is probably the last time Fanatics raises money privately in some capacity. Yeah, and one of the reasons that fuels that valuation, let's not overlook what uh, Fanatics did not long ago with Hill House Capital, an uh, Asian private equity firm, sort mm-hmm. of a foothold in China. Um, you know, the world's most populous nation. If you're looking to sell stuff, <laughs> that's not a bad place to be, right? Alibaba is an investor in, in Fanatics from back in 2013 as well. So a lot of strategic expertise on Asia and China specifically in their ownership group as well. Yeah, a lot of ways to pivot off that first story. You said, oh, yes, uh, Fanatics is also in the news. Well, guess what? Amazon in the news elsewhere as well, because they're finally going to get to see the broadcasting of the baseball games. Mm. Because Amazon, remember, an investor in the Yes Network, where we found out uh, yesterday that Amazon will now show 21 Yankees games on Prime Video. And what I'm interested to see is sort of that X-ray technology they have. You get a lot of in-game stats, the, the integration. We're just we're, we're getting a glimpse of the future now. What is this? What are the broadcasts going to look like? They were they were supposed to do this last year, but it, of course it got uh, it got shelved because of COVID. You're going to get one New York Mets game. They're not stupid. They they want to offer inducements here. Three Red Sox games. Yankees Red Sox, of course, always draw eyeballs. So your your thoughts just on Amazon now showing us Yankees games as well. Yeah, I think you're right that the creep is starting to happen more and more. The, the, the blending of these, these worlds is going to happen. I, I believe, correct me if I'm wrong, that this Amazon is just for people who are in the, the New York Yankees home market for right yes, now. So that's Northern New Jersey, New York City, a little bit of Connecticut, et cetera. Um, at some point, I think, and Major League Baseball, I believe last year, kind of gave those digital rights nationwide back to the teams. I think at some point, we're going to see this offering for Amazon Prime members all over the country. We're not there yet. Uh, but I think I have the same takeaway as you, Scott, that, that the the lines are, are fairly starting to, to blur. And these ideas that we've been hearing and, and seeing through investment for the past few years are finally starting to reach sports fans. My people are going to see how the sausage is made. As you're saying that, and I mean this, the, the story idea came to me that we really at Sportico need to take a look at the prop, the value proposition of the regional sports network. I mean, the model is completely changing. Um, what are the values of these RSNs? One, one possible investor in an, in an RSN uh, not long ago referred to them as a shrinking iceberg. So they were, they were this giant cash cow, some spitting off cash. Everybody wanted an RSN. It didn't work in, in all the markets. Um, but that market has cooled quite a bit. Obviously, you're still doing well if you're Nesson, if you're the Yes Network, but that's not the case around. So remind me uh, maybe next week or so, say, Scott, you said something on, on the pod about RSNs. Uh, we need to talk to Jacob Feldman about that. I like the idea. And, you know, case in point, Ted Leonsis, an owner who 
likes to consider himself an evangelist of what the future holds for sports teams is a part owner in the local RSN in Washington, DC also has his own OTT service. Um, those, those two things in a lot of ways, the future of those, uh, of those two properties are, are, are probably opposed in some ways, but you know, the, to, to your point, exactly. The, the fact that the Ted who owns an RSN or a big chunk of an RSN is also putting a lot of money early on into investing in his own Washington DC OTT, I think tells you all you need to know. Am I giving you too much credit as to no. think that you went there because it's the nation's capital and the next topic has something to do with the nation's capital. Too much credit. I can see by the look you on your face. You are giving me too much, <laughs> too much credit. <laughs> well, I would can, love to claim you. that, but it, oh, okay. no. Okay. Well, I can tell you we're talking about the future of this, the future of that. The future of the Washington Redskins looks a lot like the past. <laughs> you know, Dan Snyder, uh, and we'll get into the uh, sort of TikTok of, of the affair here. But Dan Snyder has agreed to buy the 40% of the team that he does not own for about $900 million. It clears up a whole slew of issues I will let you touch on. Uh, but the headline is, you're getting more Dan Snyder if you're a Redskins. I'm sorry, a Washington football team fan. Yeah, exactly. And there's two kind of big clouds hanging over the Washington football team right now. This seems to put an end to one of those two. And the first one being this very public feud, Scott, over ownership. Uh, these three minority owners, Dwight Shaw, uh, Robert Rothman, and, and Fred Smith, who chairman of FedEx, they had been trying for a while now, dating back towards a lot of the controversy around the name of the team. They were trying to sell their stakes in unison to an unknown buyer Dan Snyder, it sounds like, had right of first refusal to that, but didn't want to buy all of the stakes, just wanted to exercise his right of first refusal on two of the three, um, which led to a big court battle. The NFL eventually had to get involved legally. There was fighting back and forth between Snyder and Dwight Schar. Snyder accused him of essentially leaking things in the press that were disparaging and, um, and, and maybe false. All of that seems to probably get wrapped up into this transaction, $900 million or so for roughly 40% of the team. It gives yep. Dan Snyder full control of the Washington football team. Yeah, and as part of this deal, Snyder's taking on or asked the NFL to take on an added $450 million in debt. It looks like one of the owner committees said okay to that. Of course, all this still requires approval, which should come next week for the NFL owners. And let's have some fun here, Evan, because I don't usually do this. We don't usually do this. But I'm going to ask folks to actually tweet at us, or maybe we'll put a little poll. Did you know? Did you not know? But in the area of logo design, since we're talking FedEx, do people know about the arrow between <laughs> the E and the X on FedEx? I mean, you know about that, right? I do know about that, yes. Okay, okay. so go, folks, if you listen to the show, and, you, and go look at the, at the logo for FedEx, and then look between the E and the X. There is an arrow pointing to the right that's supposed to obviously delineate motion. And, and that's what FedEx does. It delivers things. So I just thought I'd ask if anybody knew that that was there or not. What a, what a tangent, Scott. Um, and I'll, I'll, I'll bring hey, it's us... FedEx rela it's FedEx related. <laughs> I'll bring us back to the NFL because you mentioned the, the $450 million of debt that, that Dan Snyder is essentially asking the NFL to let him take on. When you hear that, is your immediate assumption he's probably going to sell a chunk of this team once he has full ownership to someone that he's more aligned with strategically, or is that not a given, given the fact that he's taking on more debt to do this? I would say not a given. He's got to pay this money back, I think, by like 2028 or something, but it'll just help him fuel the transaction. Now, moving forward as to 
will he take on or will he syndicate, as the bankers like to say? At this point, are you paying X hundred million to be a limited partner in a team where you probably have no say? I mean, Dan Snyder has made it clear that he wants control. I would think that any limited partner stake in this team moving forward will come at a time when Dan Snyder is willing to, at some point in three, five, seven-year horizon, willing to give up control over time. That, that would be my guess, that he's just not going to take on investors who'll pay you know, big sums of money at these valuations just to say I own a piece of the Redskins. Gotcha. I keep saying, I keep going with the old team, the Washington football team. I see, I'm of that age. I, I keep hearing Pat Summerall, John Madden, the Hogs. I mean, that, that, I grew up with it, so the Washington football team. And speaking of the name change, there's been a lot of changes at the at the football team over the past year. Not just uh, the removal of of the long held name. They they appointed Jason Wright, former NFL player, the first black president in NFL history. There's been another a number of other executives brought in, uh, and maybe one of the things fans may notice the most uh, the the fame cheerleading squad, which has been the center of a lot of the sexual harassment allegations that we were mentioning a little while ago. Um, that's been replaced by a co-ed dance team. Uh, so in some ways, business as usual, Dan Snyder remains in control and arguably even more control now. Uh, in other ways, there is at least some changes happening at the team. And the the big elephant in the room here, the NFL investigation into, into a lot of those sexual assault allegations, which has not been concluded, at least as we record this quite yet. Um, but there will be some information in there that also could add to this story. Yeah, Jason Wright. Previously at McKinsey, he wrote an op-ed for Sportico on how football can help help close the racial wealth gap. He sat down for an AMA with uh, Sportico and the Sports Innovation Lab. Uh, fascinating conversation. I'm, I'm a big fan of Jason. Um, I hope he listens to the show. And Jason, if you do, please let us know that you listen to the show. Why don't you move on to that last topic? What do we got? A story you, you wrote again, Eben, uh, on corporate tickets. I remember when we were at Bloomberg, you know, occasionally... I would walk over to Mike Bloomberg and say, hey, Mike, uh, you know, my kid's a big hockey fan and I know you've got the Ranger tickets. What do you say? And he was nice enough on a couple of occasions to give us the tickets. Uh, He would also use them for rewards for employees, but he would also give them to great customers. But you're telling me that we've reached a point where a lot of these companies may not find a use for these tickets. So what's happening? Yeah, I think for a long time, companies have struggled to get people to use all of their corporate seats. If you think about a company like Anheuser-Busch, for example, they sponsor 80% of the teams and leagues, major pro leagues in the US. Almost all of those deals come with hospitality. Anheuser-Busch could easily have over half a million tickets annually. And no matter how great their you know relationships are with bottlers or distributions, retailers, wholesalers, they're probably not going to get people to fill those seats all the time. And, and Anheuser-Busch, like a lot of corporations, are thinking now, hey, if we're not using these seats, what else can we do with them? Instead of them sitting empty, instead of that suite being empty for this football game, this baseball game, what can we do with it? And one of the things they're doing, Scott, they're taking the, these seats to the secondary market. Um, so it's not a, not a massive thing. I don't think you're going to see a whole flood of suites popping up on the secondary market. But if more teams are willing to let their partners do it, and that's a big if, which we can talk about, um, more of these companies are, are, are thinking about, oh, especially post-COVID when 
you or I may be more willing to go back to a game, but Penske Media might not be okay with doing hospitality at games. I think corporations are going to be a bit slower to embrace that return to games, especially in that setting. They're thinking about ways to offset the cost of having these tickets moving forward. You know the key component as to whether or not the teams will allow this resale is, do they get a cut of any resale? And that brings me to blockchain, Evan. <laughs> I'm so excited. <laughs> we got a chance to make a blockchain. Just an easy way to keep track of who owns them and where they're going. But uh, I mean, there's also the charitable component. You can always donate to charity. Which they're doing but as well. Yeah. It, it, it's just interesting that, especially now, that uh, companies just don't want to let this stuff go to waste. They want to see how do we maximize ROI on everything that they own. And that includes these tickets that maybe in the past they were like, all right, so nobody used it tonight. No big deal. Yeah, and, and this, the scale of the corporate tickets were something I probably should have known, but didn't before I started reporting this story. I mentioned that Anheuser-Busch could have you know over a half a million tickets. Ticket Manager, which is, which is a, a company that helps corporations deal with, keep tabs on, keep data on their corporate tickets. They have over 30 partners that have 500,000 or more annual tickets. The average value of a ticket on their site, $161 million. So you can do the math on that, Scott. That's $80 million investment from more than 30 companies around the country into their tickets. That's a big investment for companies, obviously. It's also a, a huge amount of money for teams around the company, country, especially at a time when they're all hurting for revenue. No tickets needed for the Sportacast. Just listen, just download, just listen. He is Eben Novi Williams. You can find him on the Twitter at Novi underscore Williams. I am Scott Soshnick on Twitter at Soshnick. You can also find the show, get this core development. I'm giving us the promo at Sportacast, which is the hub of what will be the Sportico Podcast Network. <laughs>